Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So grab your Bibles and open up with me to Titus chapter 2 this morning. Titus chapter 2. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Titus. We find ourselves in verses 7 through 15. The Apostle Paul is telling Pastor Titus, he's giving him the blueprints necessary to construct and to maintain a healthy church. And so this really applies to us, and it it applies to everyone here, whether you're in leadership, an elder, a pastor, or you're just a, a person who goes to church. You want to understand what is a healthy church. And Paul gives us the, the information about what we should be looking for. It's not about our feelings, but what we're going to find out, it it's really comes back to one simple thing, doctrine. What is being taught? What, is, what are we allowing into our minds to shape our view of things? So it's so important. We say that all the time. Don't, garbage in, garbage out. If you take in information that's bad, you're going you're gonna to put out information that's bad. So we want to make sure that we look to the Word of God to guide us and direct us. Uh, here we have in, in before us Paul speaking to Titus about being a good role model. If you would stand with me, you're going to read our verses this morning. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. Paul says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be be put to shame, not having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people For his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you, Lord, to speak into our lives now. We we just humble ourselves before you. We open our hearts up. Lord, we want to hear from you. Come by your spirit. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You might recall that the beginning of chapter 2, Paul, he tells Titus to teach sound doctrine, which is a necessity in order to have a healthy church. A church is only as healthy as the doctrine that it teaches. That's why many churches in our culture today might seem vibrant on the outside, but they're dying on the inside. Because the message is not the message of God. It's the message of man that appeals to itching ears. We don't want to hear those kind of messages. We want to hear sound doctrine. Because sound doctrine produces sound believers. And sound believers produce sound believers. Healthy sheep begot healthy sheep. You will only be as healthy 
as the information you take in. Be careful on YouTube. Anybody with a camera and, the, and an email address can sign up for YouTube. And they can put whatever information out there that they desire. Ooh, this looks good. The next thing you know, you're down a rabbit hole and it's distracted you from the Lord. Be careful what you're listening to. Be careful. Examine the words that are spoken, whether from me or anyone who enters this pulpit or any, anywhere you go. Examine the words and make sure that they're in the word of God. You don't have time. You cannot afford to listen to things that distract you from the Lord. Time is short, folks. We need sound doctrine so that we can be healthy individuals and so that we can go out and, and fulfill the commission that we've been given by the Lord. Paul tells Titus, in order to do this, the first thing that you need to do, as we learned in chapter 1, you need to find healthy, godly men who can teach the word. He starts with teaching. And so he, he, he commissions Titus to find godly men who can teach. And, and, and the idea is that as the word of God goes forward, then the people will become healthy. And as we learned last week, Paul then moves from Titus finding healthy teachers to, to speaking to those who are mature in the body. Remember that? Those older men and those older women. He's not talking about necessarily older in age, although that seems to be the case, right? When if you're walking with the Lord for a long period of time, you age. I don't know if you know that, but it happens. So... It, 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 there is a link between age and maturity in the Lord. But listen, here's the reality is Paul moves from commissioning Titus to commissioning the body. And he commissions the older to, to serve and to love the younger, to help them understand what it is that they're supposed to be doing. And he begins by saying, you must be living it out yourself first. Like you cannot step into a teaching role if you yourself are not practicing what you preach. And so he says, beware of your lifestyle. And he's telling the older, beware of the way that you live your life because these younger people are watching you. And here's what I believe has happened in, in the modern church today is that the older aren't ministering to the younger because the younger aren't available or willing to be ministered to. So what happens? People don't do what they're called to do. You know, that's a disservice to yourself, to the body of Christ, and to the Lord. And so Pastor Mike exhorted you last week. He picked up all your stones so that you wouldn't stone him as he was telling you these things, but he exhorted you to fulfill the word of God, that the older should minister to the younger. There's a reason for that, folks. Listen, if you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years, do you not think that you have something to offer somebody who's been walking with the Lord for two years, three years, five years, 10 years? You have something to offer. I think sometimes what happens with generally older in age kind of people who are mature in the Lord is they come to a place in their walk where they can think like, oh, well, what am I supposed to do now? Serve the Lord. You're supposed to serve the Lord. What am I supposed to do now? You know, I, I mean, it's debatable. Pastors retire. I don't see retirement in the Bible when it comes to uh, Christians in general. We have a duty to disciple 
Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. And so we have a responsibility. And if you have something to offer somebody and you don't offer it, then that is robbing somebody, and robbing yourself, robbing them, and robbing the Lord of what he can do in your life. If you're older, mature in the Lord here today, I want to encourage you that um, you press into what Paul is saying in verses 2 through 6, that you really, truly uh, seek out those younger people that you can pour into. We need you. you. You're not put out to pasture. You're not, you're not, you shouldn't, you know, your life after 60 in the Lord doesn't mean that, you know, you should be sitting on park benches feeding pigeons and squeezing fat babies' cheeks and stuff. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. You should really be looking for someone to disciple. We need you. The church is desperate for you. Will you step into that role? You know, here, here we're going to be starting home fellowships, and um, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to split up into groups and different things like that. And here's what will happen if, if you don't take this exhortation seriously. What will happen is you will flock to a people group like you. So if they're older people, then you're like, oh, that's my group. If they're younger people, you're like, oh, that's my group. That's not biblical. That's not what the Lord would call you to do, to, to, to lock, lock arms with the same kind. He's calling you to a group, to be part of that group, not only to receive, but to give, more importantly. What can you offer in that situation? You know, I want to encourage you, man, be part of a home fellowship. Take this seriously. You have something to offer. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. You have something to offer. Everybody needs a Paul. And everybody needs a Timothy. You need somebody feeding in your life, and you need to be feeding into somebody else's life. Do you know that every Christian that has made impact in the body of Christ and in the world is somebody that takes that seriously? That says, I need somebody feeding into me, and I need to be feeding into somebody else. It goes hand in hand. You know, the Lord isn't calling us to be pew potatoes, to be fat sheep. He's calling us to take in and then to give out. You know, we should be, the, the glory that we receive, we give back out to, to somebody else that needs to hear it. And so I encourage you to do that. I know that our, our lives are busy, and I know that things like that are happening. But listen, time is short, and you have something incredibly beneficial to offer somebody here. I'm telling you, take it serious. If you've been married for a gazillion years, find a couple that's only been married for a few years and take them alongside and begin to pour into them. Begin to pour into them. Help them to see what a godly marriage looks like. We need to see those examples, folks. You know, and so if that's you this morning, and you're like, oh, man. You know, we've been married, and we, we have a wonderful marriage. We've been married for 50 years. There's some people here that need your help. You can disciple, that you can pour into. So I encourage you to do that. Younger people, you're not off the hook either. Younger, you know, is, is relative, right? Older is relative to the group of people you're around. You might be the most spiritually mature person in your group, although there might be older people there or younger people. The call is the same. Find somebody to pour into. We have youth group people, youth group children, or <laughs> children, youth group age uh, kids that that serve in our children's ministry. If that's you, listen, the kids are watching you. Disciple them. 
Show them what it looks like to be in church. Be attentive. Be engaging. Listen to the Word of God being taught. Don't distract. Be, be a discipler of these young people. That's what Paul is telling us in verses 2 through 6. He's telling us that the older should be serving the younger. Now as we continue on in verses 7 through 15, Paul continues the theme of being a good role model. That's the title of my message this morning. I've divided into one point with five subpoints. Paul begins by giving us a command to be a role model, and then he tells us how to be a good role model in our works, in teaching, in submission, in transformation, and, and anticipation. We begin with the command in verse 7 here where Paul says, show yourself in all respects to be a model. Paul commands Titus here in this verse to show himself to be a model. In some respects, no. In all respects. That's a hefty call, isn't it? That word all, you can circle it in your Bible. It means in everything, in every way you live, in everything you are, that you are to show yourself a model. Whoa. We obviously can start by saying that this is impossible in the flesh. It is impossible in the flesh. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to be able to be the model that we're called to be. When he uses the word model here, it's in the Greek Topos, and it describes a mark made as a result of a blow or pressure. This is a very interesting word. It's the same word that Thomas used when he was doubting Jesus' resurrection. Remember, he said, unless I put my hand in the mark, typos, in the mark of his hands where the nail was, or unless I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. He was speaking about a mark that was left on Jesus' body. A person who has come to Christ has a mark. They're changed. The people should be able to see the difference. And that, folks, is the evidence of your salvation, a changed life, that you're, you're not perfect, but you're marked. You're marked with the Holy Spirit. You're marked with transformation. Your life is no longer the same. Everybody's fanning themselves. Is it hot in here? I'm sweating like crazy up here, man. But, but here's the reality is what Paul is saying is, is that your life is marked if you're a believer. Your life is marked. There's, there's a difference. Something's happened. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul is telling Titus here that he must do more than just teach people about Jesus. He must show them Jesus. He must model Jesus. He has to be the image bearer of Christ to the world. And Paul goes on here now and describes this in five different ways. How Titus is to be a good role model. The first thing that he reminds him of is to be a good role model in his works. Verse 7 again, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. The word, the word good here carries the idea of righteous, noble, excellent. The word works carries the idea of performance as an employee. 
Now, this is super crucial to understand. You are employed by Jesus Christ. When you came to Christ, you signed the document that said, here is my hours. I'm selling you my hours, my entire life, for what you have to offer me, and that is forgiveness of sin, eternal life, you know, with you forever in heaven. And so there was a legitimate document that was signed when you came to Christ. You signed your life over to him. You know, we could use the word slave, and we will in just a minute. But for now, we'll use the word employee. You're an employee of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever worked anywhere before. But the way it works is your manager tells you what to do, and you do it. Right? Unless it's unethical. And you quit your job and go somewhere else. Or you stand up and you become, a, you become a, a representative of Jesus Christ in that moment. And you say, no, that's not right. You pray to the Lord. You ask him what he wants you to do. But you are to listen and to be guided by your manager. You're employed by them. You've sold them your time. And you've given Jesus your life. You're employed by him. So he gets to kind of tell you what to do. He gets to direct you in what you're, you're going to do. Here's the amazing thing about it. Is that Jesus, when you sign the contract, he has good works for you to do. Did you know that? These aren't things you need to find. These are things that are designed these are things that Jesus himself beforehand prepared for you to walk in. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, if you're taking notes, it says this, for we are his workmanship. That word, I love that word, poema, we are his poem. We are his, that's, that's Pat's, uh, his, his shop name for his, his, paint, his gallery there over in the, uh, the, the, what's that place called? The factory over in Columbia. But um, a little pitch for him. But um, so, so here's the reality. You're his poema. You're his workmanship. Created, that meaning born again, in Christ Jesus for what? For good works that he prepared beforehand that you should walk in. He prepared good works for you. You know, I think sometimes we feel a burden to try and find some good works to walk in. We're like, oh, where's, my, where's the good works? Oh, let me help this little old lady across the street. Let me do this and that. And we're, try, we're so focused on good works because that's how we prove to God that we're serious about him, right? No. But here's what we do. We wake up every morning and we say, Lord, I'm employed by you. You have created good works for me to walk in. Help me to see him today. Help me to walk in him, Lord. I want to be obedient to your spirit. It's a continual sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in, in every moment of every day because he has something for you. He's got something for you to do, and he's leading and directing you. That word, that word called to walk in, that word walk there, it means to live or behave in a customary manner with focus upon um, continual action. This is a willful decision, folks. It's something you choose to do. God has gone before you. He's created good works for you to walk in. Your only responsibility is this, to walk in them. That's your only responsibility. You don't create them. You don't try and figure them out. 
They, they, they are presented before you. Your only responsibility is to walk in them, to, to actively pursue what God would have you to do. He wants you to be faithful in your employment to him. Some of us, I hate to say it, are more, we're, we're more faithful to our earthly boss than we are our heavenly boss. We're more faithful. And I would say to you that consider your priorities. What are you living for? You know, eternity is a heck of a lot longer than this temporary life that we're living. Just keep that in mind. All we have to do is follow the leading of the Lord and we will be a good role model in good works. We will be that person that we're supposed to be. Secondly, Paul says, we're to be a good role model in teaching. The end of verse 7 there. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. One of the most important parts of being a good model is practicing what you preach. Practicing what you preach. To do otherwise would be to play the what? The hypocrite. Do you know what that word means? Spiritual actor. To play the spiritual actor. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to follow a spiritual actor. I want to follow a genuine, sincere follower of Jesus Christ. That's, I want to be part of that. I don't want to be part of anything that's fake. And we have this kind of idea in our world today that we're to fake it till we make it. It doesn't work in Christianity, folks. We can try to make it work, but it doesn't work. You could fool everybody else, but the only one you answer to, he's not fooled at all. You can fool yourself even, but you cannot fool God. We don't fake it till we make it in Christianity. We need to be sincere and genuine. We need to be transparent with the Lord about the things that are going on in our lives. The Pharisees, when Jesus showed up on the scene, they were faking it till they made it, right? Guess what? They never made it. They didn't make it. In fact, Jesus said, you know what? You guys are snakes. You brood of vipers. How'd you like to be called that, man? You're a spiritual actor. You're a hypocrite. You brood of vipers. You whitewash tombs. You're literally dead men walking. He says these kinds of things to people who are faking it till they make it. Why did he do that? Because he loves them. And, and love speaks the truth. And, and sometimes it sounds harsh, but it's true. And it's unloving not to tell somebody that. And so Jesus is faithful to do that. He tells us, listen, don't fake it. Be real. Deal with your stuff. Not too long ago, well, several years ago, my brother and I, brother-in-law and I were at a, a conference, the same conference we're going to be going to here in, in September, the Deep South Pastors Conference, and we were there, and a pastor was teaching, and just very, very charismatic guy, incredibly impactful, had a huge church. And God was using this guy greatly. And my brother-in-law was kind of a new Christian. And so I'm just trying to get him to get into some good teaching and brought him with me to the conference and all this kind of stuff. And we're listening. And this pastor gets in the pulpit and he begins to speak. And he starts talking about how guys shouldn't be so awkward with women and that it's okay to, 
to have relationships with ladies. You know, if you're a guy, don't be awkward, don't be weird, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, like, what is he doing? And then he's, and then he's, and then he goes on to say, you know, you need to be pure and everything, but you know, it's okay to do this and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. Two weeks later, the guy is found out to be having multiple affairs with people, all kinds of different um, marital affairs going on, and. My brother-in-law comes to me directly after hearing that and says, so much for that, huh? You know what happened? The guy discredited everything that he'd ever said from the pulpit because of his hypocrisy. His teaching was no longer valid. And here's the reality of it is that much of what he said is true. But that's the problem. When you're not real, when you're not genuine, when you're teaching when you're not practicing what you preach is that then people walk away from the teaching altogether going see that's not real it, it is real but unfortunately we're fallen people we need to we need to own up to that and then move forward and we need to be real about that but here this guy was not and he affected my brother-in-law in a great way you know and i, I don't know where my brother-in-law is today i don't know where he's at with the lord I'm not saying that it's his fault, but that didn't help. See how serious that is? You don't want to leave so you don't want to lead somebody astray, folks. You're in your workplace and you're teaching them this, and the next thing you know, you're over here doing something totally contrary to that. And they're going, You just said over here this, but now you're doing that. I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say. Be careful about the things that you're doing. Paul tells Titus that, um, you know, the way that he is, he is to teach, he's, he, he's supposed to live his life in such a way that when he teaches, it's impactful. So he tells him three specific things to do. You need to be a man of integrity, Titus. You need to be a man that is morally sound and incorrupt. You need to be somebody who is, who is taking the word of God in and allowing it to transform your life in such a way that you're walking in integrity, and, and so he tells Titus, be a man of integrity. Also, be a man of dignity. Literally, to behave, be, this is speaking of behavior that is befitting. You ask yourself, you know, we have the bracelets, WWJD or WWTD, right? What would Tim do? No, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Right, and we have these bracelets. Why do we ask ourselves that question? Because we want to live in a manner with dignity. We want to live in a way that would be befitting to the Lord. So we ask ourselves in every circumstance and situation that we find ourselves in, how would Jesus act in this moment? Or do you not ask yourself that? We probably should. But how would Jesus react to this information? There's a dude that's trolling me on Facebook, and I tell you what, I want to, I want to give him a little information. But I don't think that that would be the Lord. So you know what I do? Kindness. Love. Why? Because I want to respond with dignity. Because I don't want to play games. You control me all day long, but I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. It's okay. Be a person of integrity, a person of dignity, and also a person of sound speech. Be a person that speaks healthy intelligent words about the Lord. That means you have to know what you believe. 
You know, it's one thing to come, by, come to the Lord by faith, and we're called to do that. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. But we're also supposed to grow, and we're also supposed to, you know, continue to, to press into the Lord and get to know Him more and more. So every day of the week, I should be learning something more and more about the Lord. I should be growing in my faith with the Lord. I should be filling myself up with the Lord that when I enter conversations with people, that I can speak intelligently about them. You know, um, and, and I would encourage you to just read your Bible. It's that simple. Just begin to read the Bible and then share what the Lord's sharing with you through your word, through his word. Just, just do that. Be a person of sound speech. You can never go wrong quoting scripture, folks. I know the world will tell you you're wrong, but that's okay. But sound speech is the word of God itself, not our opinions, not what we think about something, but what does God think about it? And we need to be steadfast in sound speech. Why? That you cannot be condemned. Listen, people can condemn you in your opinions, can't they? Why? Because it's just your thoughts. It's how you view things. But when we bring God into the picture and we say, these aren't my thoughts, these are his thoughts. And you're, you, if you want to argue with somebody, you need to argue with him. Because these are his words. You can't condemn a person who's standing in the word of God. You know, but we can be condemned in our opinions about things. Be careful. Don't be a person who is hypocritical in, the, in, in your words and in, in the things that you say and then, and then in, your, our, in your actions. You teach one thing and you live another one. I want to tell you something very important about this life. Paul says, uh, the reason we're supposed to do this is so that an opponent may not be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Here's what you need to know. Here's a little secret about your life. And he said it right there. You might want to write this down. This life is not about you. This life is not about you. This life is about Jesus. This life is about how you represent Jesus. And, and he says that right here. He says, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. About us. Paul's telling Titus what he does affects Paul, affects Christianity, affects Jesus Christ. And sometimes we don't think of the bigger picture when we're, when we're doing things, when we're saying things. Do you know... Westboro Baptist Church represents you. Do you know that? The world thinks so. They're out there picketing and saying all kinds of evil things about, and the enemy is using that greatly, but do you know from the world's perspective, that's you. That's you. So everything you do goes beyond just you. And it goes to us. And it goes to the Lord. And so it's so important that we, we understand our life is not about us. Do you know... Was it Sarah McLaughlin who just won, won a gold medal in sprinting? And, you know, she said, it's not about me. It's not about me. This is about the Lord. And she, she gave the gospel and, and, and said, you know, it's by grace through faith that I, I'm able to do what I'm doing. I'm summarizing what she said. But it's amazing what she, she stood up for the Lord and she said, hey, records come and go. But eternity with Christ is forever. Wow. Wow. That's a person who gets it. 
who understands that here's a platform that I have. I may never ever set another record the rest of my life, but I've set one now, and I'm going to go on record of making an impact that will last forever. I'm going to tell people about Jesus Christ. That is what our life is about. It's about Jesus. It's about using your platform, whatever that platform is, and about sharing the Lord with people. And, you know, and God will use that incredibly, and you'll be blessed incredibly when you do that. Paul says we need to be people of integrity, of dignity, of sound speech, so that our deeds can match our, action, our words, so that our deeds can match our words. You know, one of the scriptures in the Gospels, I, it says this. It says, Jesus was mighty in words and deed. That should apply to you. We should be mighty in words and deeds. Our words should match our message. This brings us to our third point where Paul tells us that a good role model will be submissive. Look at verse 9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. A bond servant we, is somebody who has willfully given themselves over to their master. We, we've talked about this before. You know, it's somebody who has, it's a slave who's been set free, but then says, I want to be uh, enslaved by this master the rest of my life. I want to give my life back to this master. He's a good master. I, I like being here. Oftentimes in the Roman Empire, uh, people would end up having families that, where they were enslaved, and so they'd say, hey, my family's here. I want to stay here. This is a good place for us. And so they would, they would literally sell their lives back over to the master and say, I want to be yours, you know, willfully for the rest of my life. And so they would mark them. And then that would become a bondservant, somebody who by free will gave up their freedom to become a slave of that person. And, you know, we talked about the idea that we are bondservants of Christ. We've done the same, it's the same idea. We've willfully given our lives over to the Lord to be his slave for all of eternity, to whatever he wants us to do. We've given ourselves over to him. We've laid down our rights to serve him to walk in all that he's called us to walk in. And here's the reality of it. Jesus expects nothing less. He expects nothing less. It, it, somebody can't come half-hearted to the Lord. You can't come to the Lord, you know, in, in a manner where you're not giving yourself wholly over to him and surrendering yourself to him in, in general, in, in completeness. Um, contrary to popular belief, the Lord will not co-manage with you he will not co-manage with you. He's either your Lord or not. And he requires us to crown him king of our lives if we truly uh, want to be his child. The idea here of submission is to obey the orders, surrender to his will, not to our will. Those who are good role models must be practiced in the art of submitting to God. I like what MacArthur said regarding this word. He said, this term was often used by the military to um, designate a soldier's relationship to his superior officers. The relationship is not conditional or optional, but an absolute 
an inescapable given. It's a given. Reporting for duty, sir. What would you like me to do today, sir? I'm, you're my Lord. I'm your servant. What would you have me to do, Lord? We're not free to do whatever we want to do. And, you know, it was interesting. We talked a little bit about this in Man Coffee this last Wednesday. Oswald Chambers in our devotion, um, my utmost for his highest, he said, as Christians are not, as Christians we are not out for our own cause at all. We are out for the cause of God, which can never be our cause. We're to be surrendered and submitted to him and him alone and whatever he wants us to do. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he displayed that for us in the fact that he said, Lord, if there's any other way for this to happen, if there's another way other than going to the cross, man, that would be awesome. But he said, not my will be done, your will be done. He was submitting to the will of the Father. And I wonder, you know, as you live your life, are you submitting to the will of the Father? Are you asking the Lord, what would you have for me, Lord? What, what do you want me to do in this situation? Are you just making decisions and say, Lord, bless it. Here I am, Lord. Now, I've made this decision. Now, bless it. See what I've done for you, Lord? And sometimes that works, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be following him and asking him what he would have us to do. Paul tells, Paul is speaking to real bond servants here, le legitimate bond servants in, uh, you know, the churches in Crete because what, what's happened when, when believers, when bond servants and masters got saved and they started attending churches, sometimes the bond servant would mature in the Lord. And so he would maybe have a different position in church than his master. And so what Paul was telling the, the bond servant, even though he might be excelling in the Lord, and he might really be understanding and, and be able to serve the people there, but he was always to be submissive to his master no matter what. And that's what Paul was really explaining here. He said, um, you're to be submissive to your own master in everything. And it's a picture of what we're called to be in Christ. We're called to be well-pleasing to him. We're not called to be argumentative. Lord, why do you want me to do this? I don't want to do this. I don't want to go down this road. I don't want to move. I don't want to, uh, you know, be part of this thing or whatever. And the Lord says, no, I want you there. Lord, I don't want to be employed here. You ever prayed that? And the Lord hasn't released you from that place? It's because he has a plan for you. And he's doing something there. Don't be argumentative with the Lord. Don't pilfer, don't steal from your master. Don't steal the time that he paid for. Don't steal the resources that he paid for. Don't steal from the Lord. Don't pilfer from him. But showing all good faith, literally, in your actions and obedience, you are to submit to your master. What does it mean by good faith? What does it mean by good faith? Here's what I think it means. That you're not just to be obedient and, uh, in, when your master's around, but when he's not around. That's what I think he means by good faith. Like, no matter where you are, what you're doing, you have that submissive heart to your master, whether he's present or not. 
And you're to show this in all good faith so that in everything uh, you may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Listen, our lives are a display. Do you know that? You're a billboard for the doctrine of God. You're a billboard representing you're an ambassador. You're a representative of God. And everything you do matters. All, all, you know, you're, you're making a statement about the Lord in everything that you do. May your life adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. May, it, may you wear it well. May people look at you and go, that's Jesus right there. May you be the one that goes into somebody's life and they're like, man, I met with Jesus today. Because you're you're adorning the doctrine of God. You're allowing the gospel, you're allowing the word of God to flow out of you upon people. That's what we want to be, folks. We want to be billboards that make him famous. In ancient times here, this idea of adorn was used to arrange gems and pieces of jewelry to highlight the gem. It was meant to bring glory to a specific part of that piece of jewelry. And he's saying, that's you and I. We're to arrange our lives in such a way that Jesus is adorned, that, that Jesus is the focus. People see Jesus. He is highlighted in our life. That's what he's telling us here. Our lives should be lived out in such a way that we are submissive to God and that others can look at it and see the beauty of the doctrine of our God and Savior. This brings us to our fourth way that we're called to be a good role model, and that is in transformation. Verse 11, for, by the, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Paul gives us the most profound truth here in the first, like, what is it, five words, the grace of God appeared. The grace of God appeared. When he says the grace of God appeared, he's speaking not of a substance, but a person. The grace of God is the Son of God. Grace and Jesus go hand in hand. Jesus is the manifest grace of God. The grace of God appeared. It's a compound Greek word that means to, to the first part, epi, to come upon or over. And the last part of the word, phaino, to shine, to, sh to show forth, to exhibit, to shine light upon. This word appeared carries the idea of showing oneself openly and before the people to come forward, appear in sudden and unexpected manner. This appearing is speaking of Jesus. He is the manifest grace of God who came down in human form to bring salvation for all people. Who did Jesus die for? All people. Are all people saved? No. Because salvation doesn't work through osmosis or it's not inherited in any way, shape, or form. It is received. It's something we, we are active in. It's, it's something that we obtain Jesus died for the sins of the world. 
And so we think, well, how does that work then? If he died, are all the sins of the world forgiven? The sins of the world that are forgiven are the ones that have come to Christ by grace through faith and, and activated his blood upon their life. That's the way that works. Salvation, you're saved from something. You're saved from the, the, the reward of your works. The debt that you couldn't pay, you're saved from that. Jesus Christ, by his blood, he came to bring salvation, not just for all people, but for you personally, for you individually. He was thinking about you personally when he died on the cross. And so it's only right that when we come to Christ that we think about him personally. We give our lives to him personally, that we lay our lives down to him personally. It's an amazing grace. It's amazing grace that can set anyone free. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus can set you free. He came to set you free. He came to give you salvation. That's why he appeared. Paul goes on here and he tells us that the grace of God not only appeared to bring us salvation, but it's also meant to train us. It's meant to train us. The grace of God trains us. This word relates to bringing up a child as, um, as it's directed toward a moral and spiritual nurturing of the child to influence conscience and will and action. This is speaking of transformation. This is something where the grace of God appeared to bring salvation for all people, training us. It's training us. It's, you know, when you're training for something, you're transforming. If you go in the gym and you're working out and you're not transforming, you're wasting your time. You want to transform. You want to see changes in your life. The grace of God appeared so that we could be transformed. Not just so we can have the golden ticket to heaven, but so that we can be changed and transformed to look and act just like Jesus. It's training. He trains us. The grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You know what? Grace gives you the ability to say no to sin. Do you know that? In Christ, it trains us to say no to sin. The grace of God helps us to understand what is godly and what is not godly, what is worldly and what is not. And it helps us to make decisions based on that. Here's what I will tell you. It's God's grace that he doesn't just leave us right where we are because we would live a life of ungodliness and worldly passions. We would be the most miserable people in the world the most miserable people in the world are living like that because ungodliness and worldly passions can only bring pain, heartache, and destruction. That's the only fruit that they can bring in your life. When we understand this, that the grace of God has appeared to train us so that we can say no to those things, then that's when our lives begin to transform. Secondly, grace also trains us to live self-controlled. This means to live soberly, to have a sound mind. It speaks of being rational and moderate, not excessive. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, something that 
the, the, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do. Thirdly, grace also teaches us to live upright, literally proper, just, and honestly with the idea, interesting enough, of not injuring others. It's one thing to be upright and care about yourself, but upright also means you care about others and you care about how your life affects them. Finally, grace teaches us to live godly lives in the present age. It's godly, meaning devoted to God. It's a proper expression of our beliefs, and it's speaking about relationship. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven, folks, to live godly lives. You can do it right now. You can do it right now. The grace of God has appeared so that you can live a godly life. We can express our devotion to God in this present age. What is the present age, by the way? The age of what? Grace. It's the grace of God that appeared. We're in the age of grace. But that age is coming to a close, folks. And when the age of grace comes to a close, you know what's coming next? The age of wrath the age of wrath. God is, God is giving us what we don't deserve right now. But there's coming a time when he will give the world what it does deserve. Not because it pays for sin, because it's his last-ditch effort to reach people who are so hard-hearted that, they, that it's not the grace of God that they could be reached by. But, but he will awaken the world to his existence through his wrath. We must be good role models in allowing the grace of God to transform us so that others can see that we're not the same person. This brings us to our final thought here, being a good role model. It also relates to the anticipation of the appearing of the Lord. Look at verse 13. Paul says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to per." Purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. All Christians should have the same sense in which we are anticipating and we are expecting the return of the Lord. We should all be living with that anticipation on a daily basis, not knowing, Lord, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. We don't know could be next year. What, what we do know is that you're coming. And we should be watchful and ready. Jesus said, pray and wait. So we pray and wait with anticipation of his coming. He's coming soon. And so we, we, we need to be ready for that. And, and Paul, I think when he, it's almost like when he said this present age, it's like it triggered the idea of like, wait a second, this present age is going to come to a close and Jesus is going to come back. It's like the, the idea of the present age of Paul saying it will not be like this for long, folks. There's coming a close to this present age. And he reminds us that it is a blessed thing for those who know him. It's our blessed hope. It's something that we're not just hoping happens like, man, wishful thinking. I really hope that God comes back. No, it's something that we, are, we know without a shadow of doubt will happen it's, it's the idea of 
living in the moment as if it's already existed, as, as if it's already happened. That's the idea of the biblical um, word of hope. Living as if it's already happened. We're waiting for our blessed hope. And he, he again, defines that hope as the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice that those two words are coupled together, God and Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is God. And it's not just God and Jesus Christ, but it's God and Jesus Christ. They're the same person. He's speaking here about the return of Christ. And this is something that we are actively waiting for, the appearing. Now, some of us are like, man, I don't know. I don't feel that anticipation. Listen, here's what I would ask you is, you know, um, it, it, does, it doesn't happen. All, all, when, it, when I first got saved and, you know, it, I wasn't anticipating the Lord's return. I didn't know it. I didn't know anything about it. And perhaps that's the issue. Normally what I find with people who aren't anticipating the Lord's return is they, A, they don't really know about it. They don't really understand it or they're afraid of it. They're afraid of what it means. And, you know, fear relating to Jesus is a lack of understanding. Fear relating to Jesus for the believer is a lack of understanding. And so what happens is, the more you grow in the Lord, the more you mature in the Lord, what happens? The more you begin to anticipate the coming of the Lord. And so as you grow in the Lord, then you're like, man, I can't wait for it. I remember as a new believer, and some of you are in this camp right now, you're like, what? I, I kind of like this. I kind of like my life. I don't know, but I want to go to heaven, but, you know, not, not right now. I, I would rather, you know, hang out here. And I was a believer. I was a young believer. But I didn't understand. I didn't understand that. I knew, I knew my sins were forgiven, but I didn't understand what, what heaven was going to be like. I didn't understand what I was, what I, the, the blessed hope of Jesus coming again. And some of you are in that camp. You're like, you, you don't quite get it. I would just encourage you to begin to, uh, to, to dive into this and understand the blessed hope that we have in Jesus Christ, what eternity means for you personally, that will build the anticipation. You know, it, it will help you build. It doesn't necessarily happen all at once, but I think that anticipation evolves. And there are, there, there are some who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and man, their anticipation level is up here. They are so excited about the Lord coming back. And so I just encourage you, man, if that's not you, grow. Grow in the Lord. Your anticipation will grow for the Lord to come back. It grows over time. Uh, the, the Lord demonstrates his desire to be with you and I in the fact that he gave Jesus his son, that he gave himself for us to redeem us. That word literally means he bought you back from the clutches of sin and death, from all lawlessness. Jesus paid the price. He bought you back from the clutches of lawlessness. He paid the price so that you and I could be transformed. He purified us for himself that, so that we could become his own possession. Do you know that, that, that phrase, own possession? It carries the idea of spoils from a war. Oh, I like that. Jesus went to war for you, and you're his spoils. And so when, when he died on the cross and he rose again from the dead, his spoils were you. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that awesome? You're his treasure. It was for the joy that was set before him that he, that he endured the cross, despised the shame, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. He was thinking of you. 
You're his spoils. You're his reward. And he longs to be with you. He died so that he could be with you. That should create a zealousness, a passion of making him famous through good works in our lives, folks. We should desire to shine our lights so brightly before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Paul tells us here, declare these things. Talk about them. Speak about them. Declare them. Make these things known throughout the earth. And he also reminds us of this, to exhort and rebuke with all authority. The word exhort here means it's a, it's a command in a positive sense to persuade, to encourage uh, the people of God to press on towards the prize and the upward call of God. To rebuke is a negative command that means to convict and correct. And we're to do both, Christian. Listen, how? In all authority. In all authority. You have authority from God to speak the truth in love. You have all authority to exhort, and you have all authority to rebuke in Jesus' name, in love. Um, Paul says, he goes on here and he says, don't let anyone disregard you to look down on you with disdain. Now, is he saying, well, just don't, don't let people do that? Or is he saying don't give people a reason not to do that? He's saying don't give people a reason not to do that. He's saying live your life in such a way that people can't look down on you with disdain. If you live your life in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord, you're not playing the spiritual actor, but you're being honest and, and, and you're being um, transparent and you know, you're doing your best and all of these sorts of things. People can't look down on you it's when you try to act like you're not something that you are. Try to make yourself bigger than you really are, whatever the case might be. That's when they have the opportunity to, to look down on you. Live your life in such a way that no one could disregard you. Paul tells us here to be a good role model so that we can bring glory to our Lord. It's a command, folks. We're called to be good models for the glory of Christ. And he tells us exactly how to do it. We're called to do that in our works, in our teaching, submission, transformation, and anticipation. May you and I live our lives like that. And here's the, here's the reality of that, is that the world may, the world may not receive it, but, but the ultimate uh, reality is that you will shine for Jesus. And that's what our lifestyle is supposed to be like. He's the center. He's everything that we're living for. We care about what, what he says. We don't care about what the world says. We want to live our lives in a way that would honor and praise him. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. What a glorious passage we have here, Lord, reminding us, Lord, of the call on our lives to be good examples, to be good role models in this world to be people that don't just talk the talk, but we walk the walk, Lord, to be people of good works, to be people that teach your word, that disciple, that pour into others. Lord, to be people that are submissive to your voice, 
continually being transformed, God, by your word and in great anticipation of waiting for you to come. And so we ask you this morning, Lord, if there is anything in our life that is drawing attention away from you, that you're not getting the glory that you deserve, that you would bring that to our minds this morning, that we might lay it down before you, Lord. We want our lives to reflect the glory and the nature of who you are. You are such a good God. You're a compassionate God. You love us so much. And we want to display that love and that grace and that mercy upon those around us. Not in just what we say, God, but in what we do. If we're going to err on one side, Lord, may, may it err on the side of living our lives in an upright manner, being people of integrity, with dignity, Lord, that our speech would be sound. Let us be doers of your word, God. So we ask you now, as we close, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and just speak into our lives. Father, we pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't have a right relationship with you online or watching this later, Lord, we pray right now that you help them to cry out to you. We just learned that it was the grace of God that appeared for salvation for all men. That includes every single person in the world, and all we have to do is turn our lives over to you to sign that employment contract that says, Jesus, here is my life, and I want you to take it, and you will gladly take it. You want to forgive us for our sins. You want to take away our sins so that we can be right with your Father, with the Father in heaven, Lord, to be reconciled. And so we ask you, Lord, to just draw us close to you this morning as we close now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.